she's saying that to Marlon Brando. Like she is literally (laughs) on Marlon Brando's answering machine on the daily. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is our resident LA expert, Ella Kopakin. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. My goal is to have you read these books with us so you can participate in the conversation. At the beginning of each month, I outline the books that we will be reviewing, so whether you want to read one, none, or all of them, the choice is up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. You may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week, we read I'm With the Band by Pamela DeBars. so excited to talk about this with you. I, I literally, I said it to my mom multiple times this week. I was like, I need the opinions. Oh yeah. Well, I should say welcome. Uh, welcome to the show, Ella. Thank you. Um, we read I'm with the band, Pamela DeBar. Same copy. Same copy. Look at that. Yeah. This is an old one though. I like, I've had this since I was 16 years old, this copy of this book. So it's really funny because there are different iterations of highlighting. So like I can see what I highlighted in yellow when I was in 11th grade and I can see what I highlighted like three years ago and I can see what I've just highlighted. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so excited to be on the show, Jenna. Let's, let's do this. Let's dive in. So I think this one will be fun because this is kind of our first, I guess LA woman was a little bit of a memoir-ish. Yeah, but I wouldn't count it as as nonfiction as this one is. Yeah, this is like our, our real first nonfiction memoir. And so we can do some quick facts because this book has some really fun quick facts. Uh, so this was originally published in 1987, but it quickly went out of print. People got pissed and didn't want to buy it. And so it quickly went out of print until 2003 and then it came back out. And then they had a 30th anniversary edition that was released on May in May 2018. And so it's kind of gone through different iterations. This book is interesting. So even though um, I did like a deep dive into this, I got very interested in the background of it. It's hard not to. Yes. There have been multiple attempts to try to adapt this into a movie and people would propose these big ideas for these big movies and then nobody ever really followed through. And then you have Almost Famous, which Kate Hudson um, plays Penny Lane, who was based on the real Penny Lane, but she also read Pamela DeVar's book and was like, and, you know, based a lot of her character on her. But (laughs) there's a big Variety article where Pamela DeVar speaks out against the movie and how much she, how much she hates it. Oh, I have read that. Yeah, she's not a fan. I think that since that article, she's made peace with Cameron Crowe, I want to say, but I don't know for sure. Even in the article, she's not mad 
at the movie per se like she's mad at how the groupie word was kind of thrown in the mud because she's like my 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 goal with the book was to try to bring some respect and some perspective to the groupie job like from the time that i was a groupie it's like not a bad word and it's not like a sleazy word that people like sometimes have this connotation with and then you kind of have this line by Kate Hudson where she's talking about how we're not groupies and we're the we're band-aids we're band-aids so it's interesting to kind of read these back and forth (laughs) and I got lost in the hole for a little bit but I think I agree with you that I think she has come to like some peace with camera grow um since then yeah I do want to say before we talk about this book today that if you haven't read the book, the version of femininity and feminism that is in this book, I think in 2022 eyes, especially to Gen Zers, may be very confusing because there is grooming and there is a lot of minors having sex with adult men and those women feeling like that was empowering and we may see that as not empowering and I think that it's really important to read this book with the mindset of not only someone who was growing up in the 60s and 70s but also someone who was writing this book in the late 80s it's important to place this book in the historical context that it was written in and that it's about. And I think we can't, we literally can't talk about the attitudes of Pamela DeBar and the actions of Pamela DeBar in 2022 speak. Yeah. And when I was reading it, I was reading it from her. Yes. From that. Anyways, we'll get more into that. Do you want to take it away with a little bit about our uh, author here? Oh my God. I get the honors today. Yes. Okay. Well, you tell me whatever I miss, but essentially Pamela DeBars is kind of the quote unquote groupie for all groupies. She was born in Reseda, California, which is like a suburb kind of outside of LA or in LA, but like not really LA. And she fell in love with the Beatles at a young age and just became really, really consumed with rock and roll. And so when in the mid to late 60s, this boom of rock and roll started to like flood into Los Angeles, she just ended up being in the right place at the right time and became very close friends and often sexual partners with some of the biggest rock stars of the 20th century. And she, I mean, there. what else is there to say? She was there for everything. She slept with the Rolling Stone. She's like met three out of four Beatles. She you know, had very intimate relationships with most of Led Zeppelin and like knew the who and like literally every single band that you can think of she was involved with. And I think she wrote this book as a way of preserving her legacy and prolonging her legacy because the unfortunate thing about being a groupie is you don't get royalties, right? There's no songs or anything like that. So she only has her name and her story to live off of. And I think that she's done a really expert job of making that story very appealing to <laughs> girls like me. But yeah, that's who Pamela DeBars is. I think that was perfect. Excellent. <laughs> I'm, oh, I mean, the other thing we should mention too is like, she was part of this group called the GTOs and she was far from the only groupie in LA, but she is the only one who wrote a very, a best-selling novel about it. So 
There you go. Yeah, yeah. I think like you were saying, there's a big theme of her wanting to be kind of remembered and her wanting to leave like a big mark because she's hanging out with these rock stars that are huge (laughs) and that are selling everywhere and that are playing everywhere. And so I think that this was kind of her way. She was seeing that she wasn't really getting there with the GTOs. And so she's like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to like write my book and this is kind of going to be my way to like become famous. That was kind of the ultimate goal was to become famous, become remembered, become go down as one of the greats. Yeah. And I mean, she doesn't hide that either. Like, no, us saying that this is just someone who wanted to become famous. Like she makes that very clear that that was her mission in life. And the thing about it is, is she happens to be a pretty damn good writer for all intents and purposes. There are a lot of memoirs out there and a lot of them are really bad. And this one is pretty well written and very entertaining. Yeah, I think it's because she's such she was such a detailed journaler and journal keeper. Yeah, which yeah. And like she really channels those feelings of when she's 16 and just pining over these guys and like, oh, my God, if he doesn't love me, it's the end of the world. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) die. We've all been there. <laughs> we, we've all been there. It doesn't matter who you were attracted to. We've all been in love and we have all wanted to die because someone didn't like us back. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Should we establish what we're drinking first before we go into the book? Yeah. Um, I pulled this one off my shelf. It's a Cab Sav from Substance. It's kind of, it's got a cool bottle. Oh, it does. For, for the listeners, it looks like a periodic table element and it kind of has a huge C and a little S. It's uh, from the Columbia Valley in Washington. It's pretty dang tasty. It's not really heavy. It's like a, it's an easy drinking Cab Sav. Kind of like this easy reading book that we have. I know. I feel like it honestly fits pretty well. I pulled out a canned cocktail. It's, I think the brand is on the fly. It's a whiskey smash. And I was like, ooh, whiskey a go-go, the famous LA rock venue. Why not drink some whiskey to go with it? That's so good. I love a whiskey smash. I do too. This one's actually really good. I will say like, uh, not that they're giving us any money, but as far as canned cocktails go, I've had some really shit canned cocktails and this is a really good one. The uh, whiskey smash and the huckleberry lemonade by On The Fly. On The Fly. There you go. Chance to sponsor us right here. Yeah. Thank you, On The Fly. Great. Well, I guess we can do one little quick summary and then kind of dive into it. Um, We've kind of touched on a little bit of it, but we'll do kind of the big summary here. Do it. I just love this. I feel like I said this about the Stephen King book, too. It's just the summaries from the 80s, from books from the 80s, are hilarious. (laughs) They're they're to the point and uh, you don't get any bullshit. So the stylish, exuberant and remarkably sweet confession of one of the most famous groupies of the 1960s and 70s it is back in print in this new edition that includes an afterword on the author's last 15 years of adventures. As soon as she graduated from high school, Pamela DeBar had it. Hold on. Is it DeBar's or DeBar? I really don't know. I always say DeBar, but like, I don't. Yeah. Okay, Pamela DeBar, because I've been saying that too, uh, headed for the Sunset Strip where she knocked on Rockstar's backstage doors and immersed herself 
in the drugs, danger, and ecstasy of the freewheeling 1960s. Over the next 10 years, she's had a f- she had affairs with Mick Jagger, Jimmy Page, Keith Moon, Waylon Jennings, Chris Hillman, Noel Redding, and Jim Morrison, among others. <laughs> she traveled with <laughs> she traveled with Led Zeppelin, lived in <laughs> lived in sin with Don Johnson, uh, turned down <laughs> turned down a date with Elvis Presley, and was close friends with Robert Plant, Graham Parsons, Ray Davies, and Frank Zappa. As a member of the GTOs, a girl group masterminded by Frank Zappa, she was in the thick of the most revolutionary renaissance in the history of modern popular culture. Uh, Warm, witty, and sexy, this kiss and tell all stands out as the perfect chronicle of one of rock and roll's most thrilling eras. Nice. I mean, that sums it up. Oh. Did you, so did you like the book? I genuinely loved the book. Okay, good. I'm really, really glad to hear you say that. And I think I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Because I do, I do think I was a little worried of it being, I was worried that it wouldn't kind of like tell all, (laughs) I guess. I think, Okay. I was worried that it would be a little bit, oh, and then I met up with this guy and then like next story. And then it like Mm. didn't go into things or it would be kind of soft and didn't really get into the drugs and the alcohol and all this stuff, which it does get into because I feel like if you're a woman writing a book in the 1980s a memoir tell-all you kind of wonder how much is going to get past your publishing company well yeah that i mean that is the the wild thing about this book is like she talks about getting hepatitis she talks about i mean just really gross stuff it's kind of unbelievable that any of it got through the nether regions of several rock stars are explored within the within the pages of this book and i mean it's weird because like in the summary that you read, it's true. Despite how graphic the book can be, it still comes off as endearing because so much of it is based on these journals that she's kept since literally the late 50s throughout the 70s that it's not just a woman looking back on her past and being selective in what she wants to tell. It's literally you're getting it through the eyes of a 15-year-old Pamela, an 18-year-old Pamela, a 20-year-old Pamela. And so I think this is my third time reading this book. And I feel like I've read it at, I read it at 16 and I think I read it at 18 and now I'm reading it at 22. And you get something new out of it every time because you can read it at the different ages that she is, that she's exploring. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to relate with each time in her life that you can relate kind of back to your own life, which I didn't think I would find. Like, I felt like she's going to be a little too, like, far-fetched for me. But I actually related to her on a lot of different levels that I didn't think I would relate to her. And I also thought that she would be kind of this pretty girl who kind of got whatever she wanted, uh, got the attention of the guys that she wanted, just kind of was able to, like, fly by the seat of her pants. But she did not have, like, an easy go at it. She was struggling and she like was struggling financially, like guys would just sleep with her, tell her that they'll give her the world and never call her back. You relate to that heartbreak, you relate to that struggle to kind of figure out who you are and if things don't work out, then what's the next step? And so I think it was a really relatable on that level, which I I really like. Yeah, I'm really, uh, yeah, that makes me so happy because I feel like I relate really heavily to it. But I, it's also, it's funny because yeah, I'm from LA and yeah, I would have loved to reenact most of what happens in this book. But truthfully, I feel the same way. Like, I'm not particularly like her in a lot of ways. Like she was incredibly feminine and super like allowed her boy craziness to kind of dictate her whole life, really, which is not me. But 
it, it allows you to enact a fantasy life while also admitting the very harsh realities of living that fantasy life. And I think it's those harsh realities that everyone else ends up relating to. Like, no, not all of us have slept with Robert Plant, the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. But we have all been like really bummed out when someone didn't call us back after we after they slept with us. You know what I mean? Or like we've all been really bummed that we didn't get invited to a show by that person or bummed when that person ends up taking somebody else out. That's relatable. There's a lot of relatable content in this book, despite the fact that it's usually with people who are incredibly unrelatable. Yes, yes, that's a very good point. As I was writing things that I liked, things that I didn't like, I think with a memoir, I think I've talked to you about this, but it's tough for me to say, like, I didn't like something because it's somebody's life. Yeah. You know, you can't say, I don't like this. (laughs) You didn't tell this story of your life very well. (laughs) I wish this hadn't have happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, but I can say that there are some qualities of Pamela DeBar that... If I were her mother, (laughs) I would be so upset and irked by. I will tell you why. Please do. (laughs) I think like you said, you know, we've all been there as like a young teenage girl, like hung up on some guy. But I feel like she did it multiple times with multiple guys that had clear red flags. Any one of her friends could have been like, dude, this guy's married. Probably not the right guy to go after. Or like, you know, hey, I saw this guy sleeping with 15 other girls on his trip up the coast. Maybe he's not the right one for you. And if he calls you, let's let it go. And I get it. Like, you're young and you're in love. But the fact that she was hanging her life on all these guys and it's like, oh, well, this is my future with him. Oh, this is what it's going to look like. And I think that was kind of a sign of a sign of the times as well, where you are very much tied to the man that you're seeing. Your future kind of relies on that. So in a way, I get it. But after like the third or fourth time it happened, you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I think it's at that time, the normal path of I meet a boy in high school or after high school. I settle down with him probably by the age of 20 or 21. I have his kids. He ends up being my husband. If we ever got divorced, it would be shock horror. That's your life, probably. Or you maybe go to college, but inevitably you're probably going to end up married and you're probably going to be a housewife. Yeah. So she had, by total chance, ended up meeting Captain Beefheart through a friend who was literally at the center of the mid-60s LA rock scene. And she was, what, 15 or 16 when that happened? So for that to happen at the age of 16, when you're at your most impressionable, she then was this girl who happened to already love the idea of love and boys and men. And she loved the idea of committing herself to men, ironically, and so probably could have been a housewife. But she ended up making that into a career in a way. And I think it's also hard to overstate the importance of the rock star. Yes, there are musicians that are super important to us now. In the 60s, rock musicians were God. Mick Jagger was literally Jesus Christ incarnate for many women like Pamela DeBar. So then I can't even imagine the idea of like being a 17 year old girl or an 18 year old girl and having Mick Jagger say, I want to sleep with you. I'm sure at such an impressionable age, you're like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that is very important context to get to because I uh, highlighted this part. Oh, this is when she's talking about Chris Hillman and she's, 
who for context was in the birds and then in the flying burrito brothers. Yes. And so she's kind of like talking about how she can get him and how she and how she wants to like fit this. It's like more of the idea that she has in her head of the idea that he wants in his head, you know, like if that makes sense, like it's very meta, but like she has this idea of like what she thinks a guy in this era wants. And I feel like it never quite matches up with the rock stars that she's hanging out with. And it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a weird, like you were saying, like she, she would totally fit that housewife idea, but like the people she's hanging out with are complete opposites of that. So she says, I was, I was determined to fit the mold. I imagined he had hammered out bending and folding myself into the shape of woman I hoped he required. I thought that was like fascinating because this is the, it is this woman who is very forward thinking in the feminist kind of archetype of, you know, she's trying to like be out there on her own and start this great girl band and make her way in this world. Yet she's still having these ideas like, oh, if this guy takes me, let me be that housewife that he wants. And it is fascinating because I thought like, I think this is this is why I like this book. She's such a complex person because you have that. And I thought like, oh, she's just going to be this like, you you know, head over heels groupie fawning over everyone she hangs out with, which is like the stereotype that we all have in our heads of what a groupie is. Or she's going to be this, she is a trailblazing feminist, but like, you know, I don't need a man in my life, whatever. Yet she contradicts every single idea that you have of both of those worlds and kind of just like, is her own, <laughs> is Pamela Bar <laughs> Is her own thing. It's wild because like, if we break it down, basically second wave feminism, which was like the era of feminism that she kind of came up was basically the idea of like women should be equal to men we should be paid equal we should be respected equally and all of that groupies they don't necessarily fit the feminist mold right because the, the whole concept of the groupie is i support these male rock bands because like it's not like she's fawning over any female singers really like you're not hearing about linda ronstadt or stevie nicks or Joni mitchell or there was a multitude of women at the time. They are not in this book. They were in LA. They're not in this book. So it's, I'm in love and obsessed with the music of these male rock stars. And therefore, I'm obsessed with manipulating them to gain their attention. And I don't want to manipulate them for anything bad. I just want them to fall madly in love with me and write songs about me and make them be with me. Right? So it's like you want to use the old fashioned mold of woman meets man, woman falls in love with man, woman is depended upon by man for everything, but you want to dictate that. The man doesn't get to dictate that. And yet you're also simultaneously letting the man dictate that, even though you think that you have the control. It's so layered. It's so layered because it's like being a groupie. Most of the groupies sound like Pamela DeBars and what they say. They say, no, 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 no. I was in control there. I know that I slept with Jimmy Page when I was 16 and he was in his 20s and he was a famous rock star and I was nobody, but I was in control there. And it's really hard to deny them that control that they believe that they had when obviously the situation looks very different to that from an outside perspective. But how can you deny them that? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you're reading at this whole time. 
you just keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, well, no, he has, he has the upper hand here. Yet she's saying like, well, and I'm giving it like, and I'm waiting to call him back because of this. And then it's like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no he, he couldn't give a crap about if he answered or not, <laughs> but he also does. And then when he like, when you do answer, he's like, oh my God, you're my whole world. Pamela DeBars like doesn't care. She's like, like, I'm going to live my life. And this is exactly how I want to live it chasing after this guy and that's what she thought was right at the time and that's you can't put it into today's context like you were saying you really can't it's i think this book more than anything is a fascinating perspective in how do women navigate a patriarchal society and find room to have fruitful sex lives and empowering sex lives in a society that they still don't get to dictate even when they think that they do and how do we balance what is actual empowerment with what they perceive as empowerment and who then is to say what actual empowerment is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I actually highlighted a part that fits in there perfectly where she goes, I didn't believe in regrets and always tried to live my life smack dab in the moment, a place where there is no room for such a pallid thing as regret. And so I think that that is super important. Like I said, in that moment, that is exactly what she wanted to do. That is exactly where she felt like she needed to be. That's exactly what she felt like she needed to do. So in her mind, in that exact moment, that was what I wanted and what I needed in that moment. It may look back and be like, well, that may have not been the smartest decision. But when you're young and dumb, maybe it was exactly what I needed because then it led me to here and then it led me to here and then it led me to here. You know, I, I always forget that this book was published in 87. 87, you're talking about the boom of AIDS, right? And all of a sudden sex becoming to this totally unsafe, really scary thing for every American in a lot of ways. And so she's talking about the last bastion of guilt-free sex. That's the thing too, that adds the whole other layer of why she's so fascinating is, you know, if you were presented with that opportunity, would you turn it down? If I was presented with the opportunity to sleep with Mick Jagger, I would. I don't know. And, but like the other, the other part of it is too, is like, these guys do not come off great in this book. Like they come off pretty sleazy and awful. And yet you still walk away from the book being like, I'm glad she did that. I'm glad she did that for all of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. Like none of these guys are heroes and none of these guys are like, oh, like that's very sweet. And like, <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah, no one's a gentleman. No. No, she's gotten so many calls of like, hey, baby, I'm just going to send you a flat, like a plane and you're going to come to me. And then like left on red. Yeah. Damn it, Pamela. (laughs) (laughs) Fell for it again. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's um, it's fascinating because it is it is such a sex positive book. I've written many of an article about trying to overcome that feeling of guilt and fear that is associated with sex. Like you said, this is kind of that last era before that panic of unprotected sex and STDs and, oh my God, you could die. It's also, it, it was the one sweet spot because it was like sex prior to the to AIDS and the STD awareness and all of that. There was, well, you're only going to have sex with one person. It's going to be your spouse you're only, you're going to do it for pleasure, but preferably to procreate. And, you know, you're going to do probably do it young, but like for good reason, right? She came at that sweet spot where it was like, 
all of a sudden people were having sex more so for pleasure. And this is not applying to everybody. This is applying to like the special few who got to be in like the rock and roll scene or the more progressive scene, the hippie scenes, etc. You know, I don't know that there are, it's it's such a time capsule that will never exist again. We will forever now be very aware of sexually transmitted diseases and no matter how supposedly free sex may be now there's still so much that the internet has done and it's it's this magical moment where she didn't have the internet she didn't have the judgment of the online world perceiving her at the same time she didn't have to be wary of the medical repercussions and at the same time there was activism and progressive progressive happenings, period, around that allowed her to say, I'm going to have guilt-free sex. I'm going to have sex with a lot of people and no one is going to be around to see me. Or if they do, they're not going to judge me. And if they do judge me, I don't care. So that's a really special kind of time capsule that she's given us that I don't know anyone else has written. No. And even even in today's world too, you have that... that emotional tie that people are talking about people really didn't talk about back then like that you read about her experiencing like her kind of going crazy over these guys is probably due to the fact that she shared this very intimate moment with these people and then i mean with someone like who is it waylon jennings waylon jennings where she's like yeah one and done fine but even with the one and done there's still emotion tied to it exactly and so i think you kind of see the diff you see the different layers of that and i think in today's world you are so hyper aware of it that you kind of have to disassociate or you have to kind of go all in because then you're going to be like hyper aware of like oh my god i could get like attached to this guy or or like you try to do you we all see it friends with benefits probably in real life most of the time it's usually just one person that ends up falling in love or ends up catching feelings and that's very hurtful and that's what you see with Pamela DeBar in this. Yeah, I mean also like we cannot underestimate the influence of porn and online dating that has caused our generation, Gen Z, to have even less emotional attachment. We have at our fingertips the least amount of emotional attachment possible in sexual encounters if we want it to be that way. Whereas yeah, I mean, what's so fascinating with these encounters that she has, whether they're one night stands like Waylon Jennings was, or they're multiple night stands like her affairs with Jimmy Page or Mick Jagger or et cetera, she got to know these guys as friends. So it was like sex was a part of it. And it was not a small part of it. It was a big part of it. But also these guys were very emotionally open with her despite their fame. And... I am really, I guess that's another reason why I'm really grateful to have this book is because like, this is the book that made me fall in love with Graham Parsons and discover who he was. It humanizes these people. These are figures that even still today are thought of as very distant, kind of larger than life. And all of a sudden, when you're reading about like Mick Jagger joking and like having fun and maybe even tearing up on the phone. Like, oh, this is, this is, I get why she pined. I get why she kept falling into this trap. The same thing happens to most of us with anybody that we get, that we get into. Like yeah. people dick us around. Oh, a hundred percent. That was really good to end on, but I was just going to see if there's any other quote that I wanted to read. 
Oh, this is when she wrote the letter to Marlon. I don't know. This kind of applied to where I was at while I was reading this, so I thought I highlighted it. And I just feel like her writing is just very funny, and I feel like I kind of relate to it. Where it's just overdramatic, but I love it. <laughs> she goes, Dear Marlon, I just realized something and I wanted to share it with you. Trying is nothing. You can't say, well, I'm going to try to do it. You do it or you don't. If you're not doing it, you're doing something else. Trying is a limbo state of nothingness. And like, do I agree wholeheartedly? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But you do get to that point, like we've all been there, where you're like, dear God, like if you tell me one more time you're going to try to be better and like take no steps, like you're not doing anything. You either You're either better or you're not. <laughs> I, I also just love that because, well, two reasons. One is that she constantly contradicts herself and yet is so black and white in, in defining herself as a person. I relate to that so hardcore constantly changing and yet constantly convinced that you're not changing and you're sticking to your guns and you're so stubborn in that. But also like the other part of that quote that's so special is she is saying that to Marlon Brando. Like she is literally (laughs) on Marlon Brando's answering machine on the daily. I wish I had grown up in a time in LA where you could just get Marlon Brando's phone number from some friend of a friend and start leaving him voicemails on the daily. And he calls you back eventually because he's just bored. That's the thing is celebrities were just so abundant in this place. If you're in the scene, you're in the scene. Yeah, and that that's that's the funny thing too, where she would create these lists, and I related to this so much because I create these lists multiple times. I'll journal and be like, I haven't journaled in a while. Here's what I want to do differently for my life. <laughs> and like, she's done this a couple times, and like, her first one is when she's uh, 16, and she goes. <laughs> Like some of these things of like how she wants to better herself. Try harder on my complexion. Don't wrap (laughs) my hair so much. (laughs) Concentrate on my figure looking better. Deodorant every day. (laughs) She is the perfect example of I'm trying my best here and this is my best. And this is where it got her. She got to that height of fame that she kind of always dreamed of. Of course, it could have always been bigger. She always, like, she was kind of shooting for that Mick Jagger legendary status. But the fact that she wrote this book and it's been, it was printed and then went out of print and then was reprinted and then was given an anniversary, that's pretty dang good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no one is going to be Mick Jagger. And unfortunately, because the groupie has become such a controversial and ultimately convoluted space to occupy... I think that that's another reason why maybe her name isn't as widely known as it could be. Not that it's not widely known, but like, again, like you said, it's not superstar status. But I think she did the whole groupie world a huge service in writing this because I don't know that we would, you know, in the same way that we look back now at the writings of Shakespeare or... Egyptian hieroglyphs, and we can gain insight into the everyday culture of society then. In a thousand years and a hundred years, if the earth is still here, which is a whole other topic of conversation, that's what this is going to be. 
Like this is a cultural artifact. I will I will leave I will leave us on this note because I feel like this ties into your last point very perfectly with the words of Pamela DeBar in her afterword, which she wrote in 2003. She goes, the G word, so groupy, uh, continues to haunt me and crack me up. Although it's turned into quite a negative slam, it started off innocently enough. Originally, it, it just meant a person who hung out with rock groups, period. Let's face it, dolls. Everybody wants to get backstage and people who put down groupies will never have an all access pass. Boom. Well, let's get into our final ratings. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I think the only reason why I left that 0.5 off is because I feel a responsibility to her to shake her shoulders <laughs> and be like, <laughs> be like, you are loved, you are respected. <laughs> but no, I seriously, I, I think this was such a fun read. I was pleasantly surprised at how much I actually enjoyed this book. I even like re recommended it to my grandmother because she kind of grew up in Pasadena. I think she just like would really resonate with this book but I thought I kind of wrote here that Pamela is a spitfire with stories that make me want to live in LA in the 60s and 70s um even though I would not survive the lack of structure and the late nights and all the drugs <laughs> I think it was such a fun read and I loved getting immersed in that world that was also a big thing that drove me absolutely nuts is I am a planner I am a three on the Enneagram I like to check off the boxes the fact that she was like well you know, I'll just fly to London and see what happens. I was like, mm, have a plan. <laughs> and I think that maybe also the point five was just my anxious, anxiety-ridden <laughs> reading, just being like, oh my God, please have a backup plan. <laughs> I know, like, please, your spontaneity is crippling me. Like, I cannot do this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that's my final rating. Fair. I will give it a... Yeah, I'll give it a 4.5. I think my lack of the extra 0.5 comes from the fact that while it's a well-written book, there are certain parts of it that make me kind of cringe in her phrasing. And it's literally just the style of writing. But yeah, I mean, I adore it. I, you know, it's weird. I don't, I don't often reread books. And for some reason, this is probably one of the books I've returned to most in my life, like probably in the top three. And I think it's just because it's so consistently relatable and so non-judgmental and just so fun. I just think she is such a singular character and I'm just so glad it's there. Yeah. Oh, love it. Well, let's get into our pairings. <laughs> can we, can we recommend Almost Famous again? Like, I feel like we've done that like six times. <laughs> I know. Almost Famous is going to be on there. Um, I do have another one though. I did come up with another one. Okay, good, good. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, you go first. You go first. Alrighty. So the TV show that I recommended, I have not actually watched this, but I've come across it and I've come across reviews of it and people really like it, but it is We Are Lady Parts and it's about in a uh, female rock band and I think it's on HBO. Let me just double check that. But I hear it's very fun and the cast is really good. Oh, it's on Peacock. Sorry. The premise is an all-female Muslim punk band in the UK takes inspiration from London's rich and diverse collection of cultures, friendship, relationships, and cultural differences are navigated as the band seeks musical success. I think of them as the GTOs and just like these badass women, a diverse group of people just trying to navigate this weird type of world that we're living in. So I felt like that fit in pretty well. Uh, my book, I have recommended this so many times, but how can I not? Daisy Jones and the Six. 
I almost see a little bit of Pamela DeBars in Daisy, honestly. Um, and then another Taylor Jenkins read, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I feel like Evelyn Hugo is also very similar to Pamela DeBars in the way of... I have zero regrets on the life that I have lived. Not everything was perfect, but I have zero regrets on how everything went down. And then actually, I have a third book. Um, I was just telling you about it. But when Women Were Dragons, we actually have... I don't know if this is going to come out before or after this one. <laughs> we have done this on the show or will be doing this on the show. <laughs> but I read this book with Sierra and it's about women in 1955 that go through a mass dragoning. They turn into dragons. And there's this feminist undercurrent throughout this whole book of what would happen if women stepped into their female rage, into their truest self, into actually asking for what they want and asking for what they deserve. What would happen if when they did that? Out, they turned into a dragon and banned from a society and then had to find their way back into society. So I feel like if Pamela DeBars was in this book, she would 100% turn into a freaking dragon. <laughs> and with movies, of course, almost famous. But my other book <laughs> or my other movie, this is a total shot in the dark here. LOL with Miley Cyrus. Did you? Whoa, okay. <laughs> Do tell why that relates. I, I am so so intrigued okay here's why it actually got i'm looking at it now because i was like how many how did it rate <laughs> what did we get 14 percent rotten tomatoes is how we uh wow yeah so this is a the only reason why i picked this book was i think of the scene where she sleeps with her boyfriend and tapes the condom into the diary and her mom finds this condom wrapper in her diary and is like oh my god but it's just like her documenting her life her being this like free young girl experimenting with sexual desires and experimenting with her independence in new york and kind of going to europe and doing the same that kind of vibe of a young woman trying to find herself is that same storyline of Pamela DeBars. So there you go. I, you know, it, I, for some reason that popped up into my head and I can't, I couldn't get it to leave. So I had to, I had to write it. Fair. Okay. So I'm actually, I'm never most excited about the book recommendations, but I'm most excited about the book recommendations today. So I'll recommend two. One is 20,000 Roads, which is a biography on Graham Parsons, who was a really close friend of Pamela DeBars and was an alternative country musician. But I really recommend it as just more of an insight into the LA scene and more of an insight into someone who maybe was not a Mick Jagger and didn't have the constitution to be a rock star, but ended up kind of becoming one peripherally anyway and what that did to somebody. But the book that I really recommend as a pairing to this one is Just Kids, Patty Smith's autobiography about her time in New York as a young girl and falling in love with the artist Robert Maplethorpe and the playwright Sam Shepard and later the musician Fred Smith. I would argue that it's almost a, the New York answer to I'm With The Band. Patti Smith was, it was and is a punk musician. She was just not a groupie, but she was the same age as Pamela was in the same time period just across the country. And I think it's just a really interesting insight into the more gritty punk glam rock world of New York at that time, as opposed to the kind of LA free hippie flower child thing going on. And I mean, you know, she's just an utterly astonishing unparalleled writer. And if you want more kind of femininity in that time period, free femininity in that time period, it's a really, really great book. I can't recommend it enough. 
I had a really hard time coming up with a television show, so I don't think I'm going to give a television show recommendation, but I'll just recommend uh, movies. So one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's so good. And I mean, I know it was made in 2019, but according to at least my parents who grew up in LA in the late 60s, it's highly, highly accurate. It dives a lot into kind of like the young women of the 60s as much as it does the predatory men of the 60s. So I think it's a good insight into both. And then the last thing I'll recommend is uh, the documentary Give Me Shelter, which came out, I believe, in the early 70s. Oh, 1970. Yeah, so it was directed by Albert and David Mayles, who famously directed Grey Gardens. And it's it follows the Rolling Stones during their concert at Altamont and following that... And so I think if you want like a real time sort of following of one of the biggest bands of that era in the height of their fame and also kind of what the crumbling of the hippie movement looked like, it's a really, really great movie. There are a lot of really good music documentaries from that period. I won't go through a long list, but I would just say if you're a person who's into music docs, definitely look into Give Me Shelter and definitely look up similar films to that because there's a Led Zeppelin concert film that's great. There's a few other Rolling Stone films that are great. Uh, there was actually a surprising amount of documentaries made at that, at that time that can give you some insight into what musicians were like then. Well, Ella, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. I am so thrilled to have been here talking about this with you. I truly like feel so nerdy, but it's my niche exactly. So this is my dream episode. Everyone, this was a great episode. And we love you. Farewell. And we love you. Thank you for listening this far. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t. That's rwreadspodcast on TikTok and Instagram. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all. Thanks all.